welcome to the Deadology Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Weiner, and for this, the 11th episode of the podcast, I have to ask a question. Do you believe in miracles? Today is October 17th, 2023, the 40th anniversary of the Grateful Dead's legendary show in Olympic Center, Lake Placid. Olympic Center is now called Herb Brooks Arena, and that's where I am, sitting in the exact spot where Al Michaels did his legendary broadcast for the, uh, for the, goal, the game against the Soviet Union. And I'm looking up at the scoreboard. It doesn't say USA 4, USSR 3. There's a picture of Jerry Garcia with the ticket stub from that night uh, from the 10-17-83 show, as well as a backstage pass. Uh, the people here in Lake Placid are great. They, uh, the hospitality has been incredible. They put this up on the scoreboard to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the show. So um, upcoming um, in, in this episode, um, I did an interview. Me and Dave talked about Dave from uh, Working Man's Pod. We talked about the show in length. So that's going to be, I'm going to go mostly into the show. I'm going to play that. I'm going to play that. That was recorded last night in uh, Lake Placid. Uh, but for, I like to start off with a little road to um, to Lake Placid for comparing the Grateful Dead and the USA hockey team's journey uh, to their big nights. So for the USA hockey team, they got trounced in Madison Square Garden by the Russians uh, prior to the Olympics. Uh, it was really impossible to even think they had a shot. But then strange things started happening in Lake Placid. Uh, the first game, they almost lost the first game, and it almost knocked them out of contention to Sweden, but they scored like a last-second goal to get a tie, which kept the dream, started the dream. There was no dream, dream yet, uh, but that was the beginning, an amazing uh, last-second goal to, to keep them alive in the tournament. And then they just trounced Czechoslovakia 7-3. to Nobody saw that coming. Most people considered the Czechs the second-best team. So right there, the seeds were planted for the, the, the impossible upset because if they could beat Czechoslovakia 7-3, to maybe if everything goes right, they have a shot, an outside shot against the uh, Soviet Union if they could get there. But just this incredible, the wheel was turning, it can't slow down. This incredible momentum, game after game, they were winning, and they made it to that final showdown with the Soviet Union. And when the Russians came, came onto the ice, it was like they walked into an ambush. If this game, if that game were played anywhere else, the Soviet Union w- would have won easily. But it was just the perfect confluence of, uh, of events coming together. Um, and everybody in the arena, to some extent, believed that the United States could win that game, which uh, it was impossible to believe that. But if you just look at the moment, how psyched the crowd was, there really was a belief that they were going to win against all odds. And everything came into the play, the, the determination of the, the coach, the players, and the will of the American public and the fans in Herb Brooks Arena that night made for the most meaningful uh, upset in, in uh, athletic competition history. And the Grateful Dead road to, uh, to Lake Placid was a, a pretty cool one as well. Um, this, the tour starts in Greensboro, goes to Richmond. By the way, you might hear a few bangs here and there. Maybe a Zamboni machine might come out on the ice. I'm doing a live, uh, live here in Herbrooks Herb Arena, which is incredible. A great thrill to be spinning, sitting in that spot where Al Michaels did, uh, did the broadcast. But um, So they, they do uh, Greensboro, and then they come to New York City. And 
they broke out St. Stephen for the first time in four years, and it was such a memorable night for anyone who was there. A lot of great versions that night. Uh, Jack Straw, Birdsong, uh, just to name a couple, an amazing throwing stones after the St. Stephen. Then the next night in Madison Square Garden, they played an all-time masterpiece version of Help Slip Franklin's. I walked to the back of the stage behind the band, which I never do during the show. Usually I'm transfixed on Jerry, um, on the opposite side of Jerry, so his guitarist turned to me. That was generally my spot. Um, but I went behind the stage, and it was the most incredible thing just to see how the Grateful Dead had Madison Square Garden under their command. And man, did, did they go into a, a deep, um, improvisational, jazzy, dark slipknot, one of the longest ones, my favorite by far. Uh, they had the great explosive bridge into Franklin's. The band was just so on. And then you take a song like Franklin's, excitable, great dance tune, Grateful Dead favorite, Roll Away the Do. Uh, but for a guitarist, it's not an easy song to, uh, to be creative on because you're basically working in, with the same jam every time. But on this night, Garcia delivered six creative solos, and almost each one was uh, better than the last, just a genius. So uh, that's, my, that's my all-time favorite help on the way, Slipknot Franklin's. And then the next show in Hartford on October 14th, uh, this one's immortalized in the Dick's Pick series as Volume 6. And, man, they played the, the greatest Scarlet Fire that night, it's, in my opinion. I, I love that version. Just everything about it, from the opening, it has distinctive looks in the opening, and great outro, Garcia's just noodling away in uh, Segway Paradise Heaven, and great fire on the mountain, very methodical, layer by layer, incrementally getting hotter, just an, an amazing fire on the mountain. So that, that Scarlet Fire on the heels of the Helps of Franklin's, two of the most important works, the Grateful Dead ever did and the best versions arguably the best versions on back-to-back shows in Madison Square Garden and then Hartford and this all leads to their performance here in uh, Lake Placid and to say they were excited to play here is uh, you know would be an understatement because the way they came out with that opening sugary um, Jerry was unbelievable on this night he was just so excited to be here uh, 17 minutes by far the best sugary I, I ever saw, and the only one I ever saw to open a show. This sugary compares with the best ones of 77, and I'm going to be going into this with Dave in, in just a minute, but the last point on, on the sugary, good opening solo. This second solo is one of the greatest I ever heard, and I'm freaking going nuts in the middle of uh, uh, the Olympic Center, jumping up and down, playing air guitar, but then the third solo is coming up, and usually when they play a great, when the Dead played a great second solo, the third solo was like kind of optional, you know. Was, um, uh, I, I couldn't even see how they would top or play a, play an instrumental as good as the second one. But on this night, there was no stopping them, man. It was the the third solos every bit as high as the second solo. And when you put it all together, you got a great, great um, sugary to open the show and off to the races. But um, I figured, hey, let me get another voice in on this whole um, Lake Placid show. So I did my we did it. A dual interview. Dave uh, does the talk. Alex and Dave, Working Man's Pod. They have a great podcast. Go check them out. Um, we talked about uh, the Lake Placid show and that tour in depth. So, without further ado, here is that interview from last night from uh, the Hampton Inn in Lake Placid, New York. 
And holy cow, I can't believe it. I'm in Lake Placid. Me and Jerry, I'm looking up at that scoreboard. I'm going to post pictures on the uh, on the internet. But uh, so cool. Jerry Garcia, Grateful Dead ticket on the scoreboard to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the Lake Placid Grateful Dead show. Lake Placid, and you're there because as we record this on Monday, tomorrow is the 40th anniversary of October 17th, 1983. And just a, a slamming show, especially a, a set one that I just, I go back to over and over again. I just want to take a step back a little bit and um, ask you why, why when you chose to revisit the Grateful Dead and touring, did you pick fall 1983 as the tour you were going to settle on? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think it comes right down to the memorable masterpieces from this tour. Besides, I was at every show except one. There was great tour tales that I could share, but really came down to the masterpieces and Garcia's playing that tour. So I, you got the St. Stephen breakout on the 11th. On October 12th, you got the Help Slip Franklin's in Madison Square Garden. I think that's the best one ever. And that's uh, the best one I, I ever heard for sure. So that's one major masterpiece when you got an all-time great helps of Franklin's. Mm -hmm. Then the next show, Hartford, Scarlet Fire, that's the Dick's Pick Six. And I might that's definitely a contender for greatest ever in my book for Scarlet Fire. So on back-to-back -back shows, you're getting two of the, the essential masterpieces. And then the next show at the 15th was good. They played St. Stephen again. And then we get to Lake Placid. And when you get a top-notch sugary and deal, on the heels of what we had just seen, like all-time great versions. I mean, I, I go back to this tour and just those four versions alone make it the best tour I've ever seen. And then, you know, all, all the other great stuff they were doing that tour. But when, when, you, when, you, when you leave a tour and the, those songs, those versions live with you for 40 years, more so than any other tour, then, you know, that was the one I had to go back to. Yeah, I, it makes perfect sense to me. I've I mean, I've poked around on a little bit of fall 83. I did it to prep for, you know, the Lake Acid show and all that stuff. And just the playing night in and night out is exceptional. There's a lot of energy without a lot of, not like, it's not like they're playing fast to get the energy. They're just playing with energy. You know, I think sure. like a lot of times some 80s versions can get like so up-tempo it almost hurts, but but like fall 83, they are, they're playing pristine, like the sugary that opens the show. It's not like, it's not like they're trying to get through sugary quickly or keep everyone's heart rate up. They just bring this, this energy is the, the word that keeps coming back to me. But I mean, they're not, they're not playing it fast, but they're just playing it so well. And they're, they wanted to spend some time with it because it opened with a 17 minute sugary. So yeah, that, that, that's a good uh, good observation, definitely. Um, in, in 82, they were playing really good. It's a lot of great stuff to listen to, but the versions were going pretty quick. They weren't digging into the Scarlet Fires, but they were sounding great. They were singing great. It was tight. You know, everything was cool. But 83, they took it like that extra step. Um, Garcia's voice might not be as good. There might be some miscommunication. They took more chances, for sure. And okay. at, times, at times, it could be a little sloppy. But man, when they hit in 83, they definitely spent the time on the songs. And um, Garcia had such a great year. I think the best Garcia band tour I saw was also from 83. It was the May tour with the Roseland shows. And so, uh, you know, whatever was going on, you know, you know whatever 
demons Garcia was going through, he was pouring <laughs> his heart out into the music. And that 17 minute sugary is incredible because once again, comparing it to 82, I was just listening to Palo Alto, a great show from uh, uh, October of 82. They played October 9th and October 10th. Uh, the second night they did a sugary. It was nine minutes long. So you take a 17 minute sugary, you're getting eight minutes more of Garcia jamming. Yeah. <laughs> so which, which would you rather have? You know, right. <laughs> and, and also like just coming into Lake Placid, I think that it's such an effect on the band, especially Jerry. Um, it was like a, a field of dreams, kind of like, to the, you know, with the, with the U.S., uh, with the Olympic hockey team. Imagine the poor Russians coming out, going into that arena with the insane pitch. There was just, it was, it was like, it was the, like field of dreams coming out of the corn stalks, except mm-hmm. it was bad. It was a nightmare for the Russians. There was just something so magical about this place. Only the the miracle on ice that could only happen in Lake Placid. It couldn't have happened in Madison Square Garden. The Russians would have been too at home playing in New York City, or you know, or it would, it would feel like Paris or Moscow, and they would just demolish like they should. Right. They stepped into Lake Placid, and it just there was just something magical about this place that helped create it. And I think Garcia picked up on that same same vibe. You know, it's like you got all the deadheads positive energy out there just pulling in the same direction and you know and definitely the energy of the crowd of the building played into how great this show was i had a question queued up for you sorry my dog's tail is wagging against our moving boxes one sec i think i got him excited with the uh i had a question uh, energy (laughs) yeah well i had a question queued up for you about um you know with the miracle on ice and how you know formative that was for you talk about um in your deadology podcast about um, just fall 83, you talk about how you were in high school for that and how like that huge moment was like so formative for you and for, you know, most of the country too. Do you think that that, my question to you was going to be, did you think that that miraculous aura like influenced the music? And it sounds like it was a a resounding yes. Oh, oh, for sure. Cause this is the best, arguably this is the best show opener the Grateful Dead ever played. If if you can name, if yeah. you can name one you could you can name one that easily <laughs> defeats it usually takes a song or two to warm up a lot of times they've come out and done great things they've done morning dew in the early days opened up the show but it's never the best ber- version of morning dew because it takes a little while to warm up songs are usually better towards the end of a set or in the second set but this sugary definitely is a contender for best ever it's up there with the best of seventy seven and just to to be in that frame of mind. Garcia came in like a wild man. It was as if Herb Brooks grabbed him and gave him the speech. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't have the best night of your life, you're going to take it with you to the fucking grave. You know, it's yeah. like, I, Gar- Garcia just came in with that type. And I mean, the whole band was into it, but Jerry went like the extra mile and everything. And you could see it again in the set ending deal. Uh, they played great versions of deal in Richmond and Worcester from the same tour, but this one's two minutes longer. Garcia refused to let the deal go down. You know, so you just play, so just su- such great versions on this night. So it definitely impacted. And, and just to get back to that 1980, back, back in those days uh, with the uh, Miracle on Ice and watching the Olympics, you were you were watching two Channel Two, Four, Seven, or your local station. So all of America was focused on this hockey game, like you know, like it was the end of the world. This was going to be our revenge against the Soviet Union, who, by the way, were cheating. They were they had um. <laughs> they, they were they were playing professionals against amateurs, right? And yep. so that 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 made that made it extra beautiful that the amateurs were able to beat them, you know. So that, that and the thing was the Soviets they could have beat the best hockey teams in the world, in the NHL from anywhere. They didn't need to do it to 
have their bet have that team in the Olympics. They could their juniors could have won the Olympics, <laughs> but um. So so they, they they were cheating, and that that was part of the beauty of it to have our kids who were playing the game right, who had no chance to to come in and do it. And um, just that, that that was such um, the Grateful Dead never would have played Lake Placid '83 if the U.S. hockey team didn't win that game. Interesting. Lake Placid wouldn't be on the map for anything. I wouldn't be here. It's, yeah. <laughs> it would just be another little town in New York that people like to go hiking or something or. Right. Yeah. I mean, they did host an Olympics before, but I, I can't tell you a single thing from the 1932 Olympics. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. It cements it on the map. And then like in sports history, that's going to like go down as, you know, one of, if not the greatest sports upset of all time. Yeah, um, definitely. There's a, a, lot, a lot of great upsets, but there was the, the meaning behind it and everything. And part of the thing that the country willed it, the audience willed it, the players willed it. Like I was saying, if it didn't happen in this place at that time, it was just it was a miracle. It was a whirlwind where it was the greatest upset, but there was there was a driving force behind it. Like I, I heard on your podcast last time you were talking about a 16 upsetting one. It's not like the whole world was behind them and everybody was watching it. Yeah, this was something where everything was at stake and the United States so needed this. And mm-hmm. everybody, everybody did their part, the, the fans. And it was just it, just it goes to show when everybody like when you get a big audience pulling in the right direction, like the Grateful Dead on October 17th, 1983. <laughs> and all the positive energies out there, incredible things happen. Yeah. Well, take a step back and walk us through your your journey to Lake Placid 40 years ago and and like the pre-show scene. What I love in the in your podcast, you call it the deadhead migration pattern. So what was the migration <laughs> pattern like? Yeah, I, I think that's something that uh, emerged over time. You know, like when, when I was when I did this with the Grateful Pilgrimage and went back and did the A3 tour, if I felt like a bird doing what I should do, migrating south to Hampton. And actually, the first show was Richmond and uh, Greensboro. But uh, it was like you should go to Hampton, another show. Then you come back to New York. Then you go into the New England area, a couple of shows up there, maybe Philly. But it was like over, over a two week period. That's what spring and fall meant going on these tours and going south coming back to New York, going further north. And a- anyone who toured in the Northeast in those days could uh, could relate to that. It was it's something that, that I missed. It was, it was so great to go back and do this. It's like something I should be doing, chasing music in the, in the pattern, the way the Grateful Dead laid it out. Hampton, Virginia, Greensboro, you know, all, all these little places. And you never see these towns. Um, so it was so cool to line them up again and, you know, in, in honor of the Grateful Dead. But uh, yeah. definitely, I, yeah, it's, it's definitely when you do it a bunch of year after year, spring and fall are never the same without doing a Grateful Dead tour and going south and then heading back, taking it north and then coming back to New York and all that. It was uh, that was our lives, man. And anybody who toured in the 80s and, and I, I think it lost a little bit in the 90s because they started doing the residencies where they would be in the Philly Spectrum five nights, the Garden six nights, that kind of thing that took a little bit away from that migration pattern kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, did you drive over from Hartford? Did you like hitch a ride with a buddy? How did you get from Hartford to Lake Placid? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, um, every, almost after every show I went home uh, to 91 New York, we didn't have credit cards and, you know, we weren't, it wasn't like these days so easy to go online, find hotels, search everything out, plan out a trip. Um, I stayed at mom and dad's hotel a lot of times and probably there would, there would be nights I would drive to Philadelphia and then drive back to my house and go back to Philadelphia. The next day it was two hours each way, 
as long as we were listening to the Grateful Dead, we didn't care. <laughs> you know, so Hartford, we, we went back to my hometown, then went to Lake Placid. And, and that was one of the things that was cool about going back and revisiting the tour 39 years later was I, was I was actually able to focus on the place. When I was here in Lake Placid, I so wanted to get into the spirit of it all. Mm-hmm. But hey, we had just been from Hartford. We probably got lost on the way to Lake Placid. We don't have GPS. We're, <laughs> we're going off roadmaps, crumpled up roadmaps in the front seat. And we're barely making it to the place two hours before the show. Then you get there, you, you got your deadhead friends. You're talking about all the excitement of the night before. Suddenly you're in Lake Placid. You're jumping up and down. They're playing sugary. You're going nuts. And you, it's hard to really take in. We, we wanted to take in like the, the magnificence of being in Lake Placid and the whole 1980 Olympic thing. But it's very tough to do. And then after the show, you got to go get on with your life, go to Portland or whatever's the next stop. Yeah. Wow. So where were you when you were in the venue? Were you like, cause I, I mean, I've been to the Olympic center. It's not that large. No. So like I was center ice where the center ice would be, okay, which, yeah. is pretty, which is, which is pretty close. With the, if you can imagine the band set up there, I never liked to be too close. Cause I liked the little room, you know, which Garcia would go in with all those licks with sugary. I didn't want to knock anybody over. So I usually like a, a, <laughs> a, a little bit of room, you know, it's a, and man, that night I was jumping, jumping and, uh, dancing and I, I i think it was more of like um uh, like like training like a boxer man I, more, more than dancing i'd be you know out there playing my air guitar jumping up and down and <laughs> you know so uh and and during the deal man that but during that sugary and deal it was insane but even that that whole set you know it was, a, it was a bunch of a lot of energy the rooster was good friend of the yeah. devil and w- one of the interesting things about that night and sometimes it's just the way um, you know, the Grateful Dead don't pl- they'll play one set one night, different songs the next night. Maybe we're shot all his bullets the past two nights. But if you look <laughs> at Weir's songs versus what Jerry did, I'm, I'm not saying it was by choice, it's just what happens as the songs go along. First set, Jerry, Sugary, Friend of the Devil, Bird Song Deal, Weir, Rooster, Brother Esau, Bucket. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's like it, it was it was an incredible night for Jerry. Then you go into second set, he's touch of gray. Um, which weren't great back then. There was the song was coming of age. You mentioned that in your, in your podcast. You had a lot of good observations on uh, on the music. Touch of Grey wasn't a great song back then. It was a new song finding its way. Yeah. And then um, Lay Me Down, Terrapin, great Jerry tunes. They were both. The, it was the only Lay Me Down of the tour, and the first Terrapin of the tour. And then oh, you wow. got okay, yeah. And then you got Wheel and going down the road. During the wheel, everybody was just spinning around. Like everybody grabbed hands on the upper deck. And they were spinning around. Everybody, I mean, there wasn't a person who was at the uh, show that night that wasn't transfixed on the wheel, the human wheel going around uh, Lake Placid that night in the upper deck. It was it was incredible. And then um, they did the Revolution Encore, and incredibly exciting because it was the second one. And I mean, John Lennon had just been murdered only two and a half years ago. Um, you you also had a good point on that. They didn't play Revolution great. They were kind of like in between tempo on that. They didn't know whether to go quick or go with the slow white album version. Right. They were missing lyrics. It was a little sloppy, but it was, it was just so exciting to see. But honestly, they were not great versions. But the, I think the first one at Madison Square Garden really uh, hit the mark, and that was only five days earlier. Yeah, so. and t- tell me what it was like. I mean, you're stopping with them every stop of the way. So you heard the bust out, and then, you know – about a week later, you hear it again as the encore. Were there, were there a lot of people doing what you were doing who were like, "Oh yeah, they they just did this last week," or were was the vibe kind of more like, 
oh my god like a revolution beatles cover what in the world yeah i i, I think i think it was probably more more along those those vibes but in lake Placid, I, i'd imagine it's a pretty smart crowd like there's not a lot of deadheads who live in lake Placid because there's only two thousand people live here yeah, so it was a, it was, yeah. a tra- it was a traveling uh the traveling, so I'd imagine most people knew about it or or had heard it in Madison Square Garden. Mm. But it, it, it was it was incredibly uh, exciting, I believe, in the moment. But at that point, you'd already caught so much. That, you know, it was just like they kept breaking out great song after great song. Yeah, like and like the second set of that show may not have had the most intense playing, almost by design. That's the way the song it was. It was more song orientated. Yeah. It was like a state of the union kind of like you know we're in Lake Placid. We're gonna play. I need a miracle. The wheels turning, you can't slow down. There's a song of momentum and um, you know, good loving. And it was a revolution where the night where we were in the world during the Cold War. So I think the song on so many levels really hit home as it was a, a state of the union address by the Grateful Dead. Even the the Samson and Delilah, the the, the feats of biblical strength, you know, to the kind of honor of the hockey team oh, as well. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, and that, that was something I felt in, in the moment with, with the Samson. It definitely had the, the feel of being checked into the hockey boards. It was a very uh, aggressive, you know, version. Yeah. I think it it definitely like kind of pales the touch of gray. Like the touch is a little clunky. And then that Samson is really good in high energy. Yeah. And then, yeah, the I, I didn't know it was the the first Terrapin of the tour that they that you guys got to see there too. That's That's really cool to have both those songs to lay me down and terrapin that the yeah. pre pre jarms in space uh suite is is solid i think outside of that touch opener yeah the uh and w- one thing which hurt hurt the show a little bit was jerry's voice i mean his, his intent was a thousand percent is the way he's playing guitar was incredible his voice was a little ragged so uh the, some of these songs weren't as sweet as they could be if his voice was a little better yeah you know, like, but for then he as he usually does. he just finds it for that to lay me down or maybe it's like yeah. because it's a little raspy i it's not really a song i seek out or go to but that version i i was really loving what he was doing vocally um in that song yeah sometimes that that, that was one of the cool things about uh jerry in the 80s he would find a way to overcome when he was when he wasn't singing strong he would just with emotion it would just be emotion pouring yeah and, yeah. That, and that's what you hear on the to lay me down where on the touch of gray it didn't work out as well and Terrapin, like in- instrumentally, was very solid, but it, it, his voice was just—he was losing his voice towards the end of the tour. Okay, yeah, and you said instrumentally very solid. I thought Bob's playing was like top tier as well, and I like his—he vocally, I think, was losing it a little too. Like at the end of Hell in a Bucket, his voice is starting to go a little bit. Like you said, he he might have been burnt out from the couple nights before in Hartford, but. I thought playing wise, like he's rock solid. Jerry obviously is just taking it to the next level. And then do you think it's more like it's been four years with Brent? Like there's a certain comfort there that they could really push the limits. Oh yeah. Brent, Brent like uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. And um, I did notice today when I listened to the sugary on the way up, I, you know, and uh, I was, I did really admire what was, where was doing in the sugary it was, you know, um, obviously Garcia is the, the stars, you know, going on, going off. But I was listening to Weir was like doing some really good stuff during that sugary. And it, it, it's almost unusual when it really stand, he stood out more in the seventies as playing in the musical landscape sometimes. But um, yeah, no, I, I thought he was playing great at the show and Brent, he just had a way like during that deal, 
like he could read what Jerry wanted to do. He understood that Jerry didn't want to end the deal. Like a usual deal would be eight minutes. So he played like this amazing chord, which was almost like a bridge to extend the jam. I, th I think Brent really kind of understood what Jerry was doing. And he, they had such a great rapport going back and forth. And um, I think it was probably almost best that during this period, um, you know, I, just, I, I love the way Brent would build these bridges because he, he would kind of encourage Jerry to take it one more, one more uh, level, take it up mm -hmm. a level. Yeah. And then the drumming too is also just solid. It, yeah. I mean, there's no, it doesn't sound too sneakery at like almost any point in the show. Um, this is one of the, not first, but we, we don't talk about drums in space a lot on the show because half the shows we cover are like pre drums in space. Like sometimes if we're covering a drums, it's because it's like the intro to the other one in 72 one or 72 is labeled as drums but um had had drum space like been fully embraced by by you by the crowd by the people in lake placid yeah it was it's, it's such like an organic part of what the show was you know it's like if 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 you, if you were in the right mood to enjoy it it was mind-boggling if you needed to take a leak get a beer roll <laughs> up your joint you know it, it, it was such a beautiful thing because you didn't you, nothing hinged on it yeah. And then all of a sudden you'd be sitting there and you would just, you know, be listening to Garcia noodle away or, or the drummers would hit a rhythm. You'd be like, Holy shit, this is amazing. But um, <laughs> it, it was, it wasn't something, it, it, it was like a perfect feature of a Grateful Dead show. You could, you could really jump on, you know, there were people who jumped all over their drums. It was like a highlight to them. And, but also it was that great break where you could do whatever you needed to do to get back and ready for the post drum space. So it, it really, it was a perfect vehicle. No other band had anything like that going. It was, you know, you're, you're giving, you're giving everybody their due, be giving the, the drummers their chance to shine and the space, just giving the, uh, the band a chance to get, get back into it. And yeah, it was a, a wonderful feature, even if everyone wasn't great, but it, like uh, today on the way up, when I was taking the drive, I was listening to space from the Lake Placid show I'm looking at the peak foliage as I'm driving up the, uh, mm. where am I on 87? It was, it was incredible. I was just thinking too bad. I wasn't on acid this night and I wasn't <laughs> taking the foliage on the way in, you know, I was, uh, I think I had some stimulants going through me cause I was pounding the ground pretty hard during that, uh, sugary and deal, but, uh, yeah, yeah it was amazing stuff. And another thing you were talking about the hell in the bucket and you mentioned this on your podcast, um, with this ride, Sally ride. Is that true that there, what was the thing with the woman who was, uh, her name was, you mentioned something Sa about the S. Yeah, the Sally Ride was her, is her name. And uh, the, I have no clue. That's just a theory that, I mean, I'm just, I'm wondering if, because, you know, I mean, I've been to quite a few Dead & Company shows and I, and I see how active Bob is in like supporting like women's rights and women's health care. And he's all over it on social media too. Actually, I think it's Bob Weir's birthday today. So oh, yeah, it's uh, great. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Bob. Bob. I mean, that probably played into the Lake Placid show too. They had a good time the night before. And ah, uh, yeah, yeah, Bob needed a little less songs to, <laughs> to cover. Yeah, that you might be onto something there. Um, but no, that's that's just a theory that I had that um he was like honoring her in a kind of subtle way that he could. Yeah, it, I don't, it, I don't it, know. It made sense because I never even thought of that before. But was that that was around that time period, like eighty three or? Yeah, I think it happened earlier in the year, like in the in the summer. So then it's, I think, I think it's very likely, you know, cause um, it never occurred to me, like I'm pretty good with history, but that's something that, you know, either I wasn't on top of an A3. And when you mentioned, I'm like, geez, maybe that's it. And probably is because 
Bob would often drop in little current events when he's singing Good Love and he would refer to things that were happening and also the sport events. They're always very aware of that. You know, he would tip if the Dodgers lost, he would say something uh, baby blue about, about the Dodgers. And (laughs) there was always a current, current events thing, which Bob was always would bring up often. So when you said that, I'm like, geez, that must've been it because I always thought it was just a a tip of the hat to uh, Mustang Sally and Wilson Pickett. But that, that, that's definitely because he goes ride Sally ride or the other chorus of that song. But Sally, it makes so much sense. Sally Ride was from yeah. that. I was like, wow, right. That was, that was a great pickup. Probably was on his mind. Yeah, thank you. And I mean, that's a product of listening to a show, you know, five or six times and hearing that and being like, hey, that he doesn't usually do that. What, what gives? And then, you know, I'm doing the research for 1983 and the the light bulb clicked, but it all, Kebab, you know, he could equally be your theory, or it could could be some third theory that we don't even know yeah. or he just got bored and wanted to change it up yeah who knows but yeah um, I, I think i think he was definitely tipping the hat to wilson pickett and also the sally ride because that makes yeah. it so current events it makes sense yeah well happy birthday uh bob if you're listening which i i doubt you are but if so you, happy. you never know man you know <laughs> these guys like to jump in uh anonymously once in a while and uh hear, hear what's going on but um Hey, talking about uh, October 16th and Bob, um, another show, which I, I got to finish later today, that Amsterdam 81 show um, where they, they, they did rent it. They, you know, the story behind that. Um, I they don't know. Um, this one, you, you got to be all over as far as listening. Um, they canceled some concerts and I think it was, um, I forget, might've been Paris. Uh, they had to cancel some concerts that were, were outdoors. So they rented equipment went to the milk wagon Amsterdam for October 15th and 16th on the 16th, they played an acoustic set and then they played electric and they did Holy goalie Gloria. They broke out the first love light since pig pen and it's all with rented equipment. It's freaking smoking. Um, October 16th, 1981 Amsterdam. So um, I think Bob was, what was he like 34 maybe at that time or yeah, but um, yeah, a lot of great, uh, great shows on Bob's birthday. The, 89 show with the Brendan Byrne uh, Nightfall of Diamonds uh, release. So yeah, it's it's a it's another good day for Deadology, <laughs> October 16th. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a idea for you in the future, birthday shows of, of band members. Yeah. Um I think Bob, Bob had Bob and Billy. Billy May 7th has a lot of great shows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um well, and then you know, unfortunately, the show's over. Revolution wraps up, and and what's next for Howard Weiner in 1983? What was what's your next? Is I missed my only show the, show the tour of Portland, and my friend Doug, who I was with, I brought I dropped him off at Albany that night, and he m- met up with friends, and he went back to Portland. So he caught all eleven. I caught uh, ten out of eleven. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what what happened. Maybe I just at, at some point you're, you're low on money. Um. I'm a part-time <laughs> student, part-time, yeah, part full-time nothing except Grateful Dead following me. Right. So, so yeah, I you know it's, it was always nice to go back. Um, my parents were very gracious. I, I was able I was able to return home and then carry on with this life of this uh, just following the Grateful Dead around. And they always had the the uh, fridge was packed with food, so <laughs> I did miss the Portland show. But then came back for the first Worcester shows after Portland. Portland was a great first set. By the way, if um, if you guys out there want to see what the dead looked like from this time period, there's a great uh, video of the October 18th show in Portland. 
Um, someone took a video from the opposite side of Jerry and just a very cool video. Uh, obviously they dubbed in a great recording. I think that's the real only good video, only video from that tour, October 18th. Um, at least the first set. And the first set is great from that night. So after this night in uh, Lake Placid, they, they managed to be come out with great Jack Straw, Love Each Other, Lazy Lightning Supplication. Um, yeah, a lot of great, great first set that show. Maybe not as hot as uh, Lake Placid, but probably more desirable uh, song list. Um, yeah, so they, they, they were great after that. Then they went to Worcester, had two great nights in Worcester, played another killer Scarlet Fire. It was their first time playing Worcester. And then finally, they wrapped up in Syracuse the last night. That was the first time the whole tour I felt like a, a little, like it just wasn't a great show. It was a little bit of a downer. They hadn't played Morning Dew all tour. They didn't play Morning Dew. Um, uh, St. Stephen breaking out again would have been cool. But it, and they, I think they they ran out, out of energy uh, at the last night in Syracuse. But the following year, 84, they played one of their best shows as, as the last show in Syracuse. So, oh, um, yeah. A little redemption. Definitely. <laughs> it was redemption. And I wasn't there. I was at my brother's bar mitzvah. And I, I have forgiven them. You know, it was only the greatest Jack Straw they ever played. But uh, uh, I'm dancing around at, at a bar mitzvah, and uh, you know, and they're grateful that I'm playing the Jack Straw of dreams. But uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's all in a life of uh, following the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Uh, well, the last question I have teed up for you is actually what you were talking about right before we hit record, um, because something that you do in your book, which, by the way, if for some reason you don't know. Howard's book, The Grateful Pilgrimage, is his retread on the 1983 fall tour, where in 2022 he went to every venue and re-listened to the show, like at or near the venue. So my last question for you is, where are you going to listen to the show at or near the Olympic Center? Oh, well, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's it's open. the The Olympic Center, anybody can walk in there. Um, any like seven to eight o'clock at night, it's open to the public. It's, it's like a public arena. It's, 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 it's an American shrine. So uh, I'm going to do a couple of things tomorrow. I, I always go in there. I listen to it with my headphones on. I have a Bose speaker with me. If I'm not bothering anybody, I might play the sugary actually for the whole arena, <laughs> you know, not too <laughs> loud, not like disturbingly loud, but, you know, just kind of sit back in a seat and take it in. And then the other thing is part of this podcast, I'm going to be uh, recording inside her Brooks arena um, I spoke to the people there. They're going to set a table up for me where Al Michaels uh, did the uh, Olympic hockey broadcast. Uh, Do you believe in miracles? So I'm going to be, uh, I guess I'm going to be the Al Michaels for the Grateful Dead 40 years later. And also another cool thing. These people are so nice, man. They they asked me if I'd like to put up a picture of Jerry on the scoreboard. So there's going to be a nice picture of Jerry up there on the scoreboard and the Grateful Dead ticket, the backstage pass. I was like, I couldn't believe how nice they were. I just said, hey, I'm, I'm this guy who wrote a book, blah, blah, blah. And they're rolling out the red carpet for me. And it's uh, part of the magic of Lake Placid. It's a it's a beautiful place. I lo- love coming here. And people are obviously it's like nowhere in the world. That's feel the, feel the dreams for fans, musicians and hockey players. Yeah, I am envious and jealous and everything in between that you get to sit where Al Michael sat and uh <laughs> and bust out a microphone and that's that's just incredible shout out to the the lake placid people for not only just letting you do it but then going way above and beyond to to coordinate that and have you be able to do that 
That is crazy. That's great. I, I, these, these, they're so nice. I figured, why not ask? You know, <laughs> if they said no, it'd been fine. I love you yeah. guys for for letting me in here and just you know being able to. <laughs> so the doors are being opened for me early before the public gets in there. Very, very cool. So, yeah, just sometimes in life you got to ask if you're uh, <laughs> if you're inspired about something, you just got to follow your uh, follow your heart and uh, go for it. Yeah. Well, and that's a that's a perfect way to wrap up because you followed your heart and went for it back in fall 1983 and you did it again last year and you literally wrote a book wrote the book on the grateful dead fall 83 and uh thank you so much for chatting about lake placid anything else you want to any other story to tell or thing to mention or anything like that yeah two quick things since you mentioned the uh grateful pilgrimage the book it's on sale through the end of october um knocked off uh five bucks on both the paperback and the kindle and I just wanted to thank you guys, Alex and Dave. And, you know, um, just from being interviewed by you guys, I was like, podcasting is a cool thing. I hadn't, I, I hadn't had time to take in podcasting. And then I was like, you guys inspired me to to start doing some podcasting. And it's, it's such a nice thing to do. It's um, easier than writing, I think. I'm still going to continue to write books, <laughs> but it, it's. I, I found this is much easier to do than trying to keep up with a blog spot and checking word spelling and everything like that. I could just, you know, <laughs> say what I need to say. And it, it it's so much fun. And you guys totally helped me. There would be no deadology podcast if I hadn't met you guys. So I appreciate that. Well, we are honored. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll speak for Alex here. He's, he's probably honored <laughs> too. Um, well, thank you. And uh, yeah, go buy Howard's book, go buy his older books too. go buy stuff about Europe 72 and the book deadology, the day in grateful dead history and deadology too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Deadology 2, uh, we got Dylan and the Grateful Dead. You might have to take another 20 minutes if we want to list all the books and the titles. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think they get the idea. Tangled Up in Tunes or Amazon, you could, you could check it out. There's a whole whole lot of, a uh, couple of volumes of uh, my thoughts on the music. And uh, it's just, it's meant so much and it continues to mean that much and more to so many people. So um, we got to keep doing what we're doing, man. It's worth it. Absolutely. Well, thank you and take care and uh, enjoy the the broadcast booth tomorrow. Definitely. It's going to, it's going to be very exciting and a great talking to you again. I'll speak to you guys soon. Peace. Thanks, Dave. All right. We're back live in Herbrooks arena, October 17th, 2023. I'm still looking at that great picture of Jerry Garcia on the scoreboard here. And uh, that will wrap up this episode, episode 11 of the deadology podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. My next episode, I'm going to start an underrated gem series where I'm going to take uh, two shows uh, which are pretty much uh, under uh, overlooked, underrated, you know, uh, shows that probably deserve a little more attention. I got this idea from uh, Bob and Paul. They sent me an email and um, for, for the idea. And I thought that was a pretty cool idea uh, to go, go into some shows that are kind of overlooked. And it's, one's going to be a 71 and one's going to be an 81. And I'll keep that a mystery until episode 12. Um, if pictures of the Lake Placid scoreboard, I'll be posting them all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Look up Howard Weiner. Um, you could go to a place like Grateful Dead Tour Veterans 80. Uh, I'm going to be posting it there. You uh, should be able to see some of these pictures. They're very cool. And if anybody uh, has any further sh- uh, show suggestions for Deadology, feel free to email me. I got a memorable email address, catfishgarcia82 at yahoo.com. 
Um, usually, uh, I came up with that uh, email address like 20 years ago before there was a show, Catfish. I definitely feel weird giving that email address out to non-Grateful Dead people. But, um, hey, it works. Definitely works for the Grateful Dead. CatfishGarcia82 at Yahoo.com. My website, www.tangledupintunes.com. And through the month of October, my latest book, which goes into the 83 tour, The Grateful Pilgrimage, Grateful Pilgrimage Time Travel with the Dead, um, is available on sale, uh, $5 less for the paperback and the Kindle version. Uh, check that out. Once again, thanks for listening. Peace out. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a few minutes so everybody hang loose.